0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stat Stories, a StatMuse original. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. So the Warriors demolished the Cavs in the 2017 Finals, despite a Herculean effort from LeBron James, who is now the first player to win an MVP and lose five times in the Finals. Yet, even as another season ends with the King coming up short, this loss shouldn't stick to him and will in no way affect his legacy, as we'll discuss in Episode 28, Keflon Lebron. Well, for
1: me personally, um, I left everything on the floor every game, all five games. So, for me personally, I have nothing to be, I have no reason to put my head down. I have no reason to look back at what I could have done or what I shouldn't have done or what, what I could have done better for the team i left everything i had out on the floor every single game for five five games in his finals and um you know you come up short so
0: so that was lebron after game five giving his recount of his effort in the series which even though as we know he came up short i mean you can't really argue with him there he did leave everything on the floor and probably one of the best losing efforts we've seen in the finals but before we get to that i want to go back to our last episode justin where we talked about just the state of the nba playoffs in general and what a just terrible terrible playoffs it was um we said that we needed this nba finals to be epic in order to kind of make up for it to redeem it so i want to ask you before we get into this did it accomplish this Was this series just more of the same, or was the Warriors' dominance compelling enough to call this postseason a success? What do you think?
2: Uh, In a word, no. (laughs) I mean, there were, what, really like one and a half competitive games out of five, maybe? You know, the Warriors won the first two games easily. First team ever to win the first two games of the finals by 19 or more points. Um, Game three was, was really good. Right, I mean, you had you had that where the, the Cavs have a six-point lead late and the Warriors roar back to win it. That was a really good game, entertaining game. Uh, game four, the Cavs just put on an epic offensive performance and it was not competitive. And then game five, there were times where it, it looked like it could be a competitive game, but in the end it really wasn't that close. So I would say no, it didn't redeem the, the, the poor uh, slate of games we had going into the finals. Yeah, what do and you I think, think – to-
0: I think yeah, I agree with you completely, and I think the the game, uh, the one close game where Durant marched it up the floor and just pulled up and hit that three, the game ceiling three, just kind of even made it worse because we got that little taste of oh, close competitive basketball, and someone you know coming up heroically like that. It, it just made it worse because we hadn't seen that for basically the entire playoffs, as we just endured one blowout after another. So. I don't think it was so bad that any of the worst case scenarios we described last episode are going to be in play. Like, I don't think the NBA has anything to really be panicked about right now. But if a year from now we're doing another finals recap episode or whatever we're going to do, and we're talking about the Warriors just marching through the playoffs again, you'll start getting into problematic territory then if the entire season doesn't mean anything. But I mean, sure enough, we would have been doing this last year before we knew KD was going to join the Warriors, so anything can happen between now and then, and who knows who's going to be on the Cavs next year, or whatever's going to happen, but yeah, overall, the finals was not that compelling, not that interesting, it was a foregone conclusion, but the thing we do want to talk about is the guy who was on the losing side, LeBron, he was incredible, like, just how good was this guy statistically in these in these finals
2: you know all i can say is this i swear i've seen a lot of stuff in my life but that was
1: awesome <laughs>
0: yeah chris farley's the only person who could describe that that well yeah he was he was great he was the first player ever, ever to average a triple double in a in a final series which is the easy one everyone is going to. But just the way he did it, he was so efficient, right? Just in his entire playoffs, he was at a 62.2 effective field goal percentage, which is the highest ever by a player with 30 points per game or more in a a playoff run that went at least six games. Um, And then in the finals, he had the second highest effective field goal percentage with 30 points per game. Uh, But unfortunately, the... Guy who's first in that list is Kevin Durant, who is also just equally as great. But yeah, LeBron was just on another level, and it just wasn't good enough.
2: Yeah, just, yeah. going back to what you said about James and Durant, actually, so going into this year, there had only been two cases where a player had averaged at least 30 points per game with a 60-plus effective field goal percentage in a single finals. And that was Shaquille O'Neal in 2000, and Kevin Durant actually did it in 2012. When he faced James with the, with the Thunder, um, but yeah, so two guys did this year what only two guys had done previously in all of their finals. So that that's that's pretty amazing right there.
1: Take that for data.
2: Yeah, and LeBron just kept notching up his career numbers as well,
0: moving up to third all time in final scoring behind Jerry West and Kareem. Uh, joined West and MJ's only players with six career forty-point games in the finals, and then also passed Magic Johnson for the most all-time triple doubles in the finals with nine. So it's really hard to argue against what he was saying about leaving everything on the floor, and like even afterwards when the finals were over, LeBron didn't. I, I know I'm I'm not a body language expert, but he didn't seem as like down as some of the other finals even one of the reporters brought up when he the first time they lost to the Warriors he sat in his locker with a towel over his head for 45 minutes and then this time he was out there just kind of talking like I don't know if, if it's safe to assume that even LeBron kind of knew what he was what he was up against in these finals that even he no one expected them to actually be able to beat this Warriors team because they were just that good as well.
2: Yeah and, and you know going back to this being his best performance in the finals, I don't know if actually if I would say that. You know, go back two years ago um, when they played the, the Warriors in a pretty tight two-game series. Or six-game series, I'm sorry. And I believe the first two games went in overtime, which is the first time that's happened in finals history. And LeBron that year was just incredible. He averaged 36 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists per game. And the thing is, he did that pretty much without Kevin Love. Kevin Love missed the whole series because he he was he had injured his shoulder, I believe it was earlier in the playoffs against the Celtics. And then uh, Kyrie Irving got hurt in overtime of Game One, and so he basically played the last five games without Irving, or he did play the last five games without Irving. And so to drag that that team to a six game series, you know, with missing basically their second and third best players the entire time that was pretty incredible. I mean, he wasn't nearly as efficient as he was this season, but um, he kind of had to do everything on his own that year. And and so that then led to a decrease in his efficiency, but he was just carrying such a ridiculous load. And it was such a competitive series given given the injuries. I may say 2015 was a better series. And I would argue too that LeBron got robbed that year. He should have been finals MVP. There's no way Andre Godala should have won the mvp that year
0: well so you would think that that was a better individual performance for him than when he went god mode last year and rallied them back from the 3-1
2: deficit yeah just again because of of all the injury problems the Cavs had in 2015. you know i mean like most teams you take away their second and their third best player in a six game series against a team like the warriors or in a, a series i should say not a six game series but in a series against a team like the warriors i mean how many players could could take their team to six games you know what i mean could actually win a couple of games without those guys that, that's that's to me really really impressive yeah true and i mean there's very few
0: players we could actually sit there and have this discussion about which which one of their amazing finals performances was their best but like we said it, this one he was the fir- he's the first player ever to average a triple double in a in a complete final series i mean that in of in and of itself without you know it's only fitting that our i guess our last um Podcast about the the NBA this season is going to be revolving around someone having a triple double because that's just the theme of the entire year. Was just great individual performances that ultimately didn't didn't lead anywhere. Uh, well, that's that's taking it a little too far, I think. But I, I, you get what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were there was triple doubles were all over the news this year, and in the end, the team that won it really wasn't about the triple doubles, was it? <laughs> all right. So you think Le- you think LeBron's
0: twenty fifteen performance without Kyrie and Kevin Love was better than his twenty seventeen performance. Yeah, averaging a triple Possibly, double.
2: yeah, it's close. I think I go like I said though, I think I would go with 2015 just because of the the lack of help that year.
0: Alright, so I was thinking in my head that averaging a triple-double in a in a finals against one of the greatest teams we've ever seen put together had to be up there with the best losing performances in nba finals history but if you think 2015 was better than 2017 we'll we'll just move forward with that and ask you this question right so was 2015 lebron the best performance by a player in a losing effort in the finals what do you think
2: it's close (laughs) it's close there's some others you want to want to discuss maybe some of the others like for example uh going back a long time ago 1962 elgin baylor so they played a, a seven-game series. The Lakers played a seven-game series against the Celtics. Elgin Baylor averaged 41 points and 18 rebounds a game in that series. Yeah, and he, he had a finals a record. Six, 61 yeah, points, ahead. yeah. Yeah, 61 points say, yeah. in Game 5. In game, in game 5, which is still a finals record. And he's also the only player that have, to have seven 30-point games in a single finals. So... Yeah, I mean, I know there there are things about that time that we sort of need to adjust for, the pace and whatnot. But still, it, it's pretty incredible. And then um, seven years later, his teammate, Jerry West, this was another Lakers-Celtic series. They all seemed to play each other in the 60s. Uh, West was the only player from a losing team to win finals MVP. And he was incredible that year. He averaged 38 points, five rebounds, seven assists a game. It was a seven-game series. And I kind of give extra credit for that. You know what I mean? if it, If it's going... Seven, six, seven games. I don't know. I, I tend to give a little more extra credit for that. Well, yeah, you're um, sustaining. Yeah, you're sustaining it for longer. That's what she said. Exactly right. So yeah, he, he averages that for a seven-game series, and he had four 40-point games in that series. So that, that's fairly incredible too. And then one more that stuck out was was Jabbar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1974, averaged 33 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, and also two blocks a game, and that was a seven-game series. And he and Baylor are the only guys to have seven 25-point games in a single finals. So all three of those are really impressive. They're right up there with LeBron 2015, I think, and 2017 as well.
0: Yeah, and one that pops out to me is Rick Barry in 67. where Because I saw him on, if you just look on StatMuse for the highest points per game by a player in the finals, his is the second highest. He averaged 40.8 and still ended up losing that series. And without looking up anything, the one that pops in my head from kind of more recent was Allen Iverson in 01 versus the Lakers. That he was just insane and look, had them looking like they may be able to pull the upset, but then of course it, it didn't go that way. So that Iverson is always the one I think of, but I don't, for, for the modern era, but I don't think he was anywhere close to what LeBron has done in these two of these last three losing performances we've seen from him.
2: Yeah, Iverson's was mostly about points, right? I mean, that was, I know what you're talking about. That's the year that the Lakers were undefeated going into the finals, and then the Sixers stunned them in game one. Yeah. But yeah, Iverson was more about just being a scoring machine that year, whereas LeBron was a scoring machine and a rebounding machine and an assist machine. You know, he just did everything. And in this year in particular, he was ridiculously efficient doing it. So, I mean, Iverson was impressive that year, but not really on the level of James this year in 2015. And twenty sixteen for that matter, and probably other times on the finals as well.
0: Yeah, with however many more he's gonna he's gonna go to.
2: So I guess if forced to pick I think I would go with LeBron twenty fifteen. I think that would be my choice. You think that was the best and then, the best losing performance ever? I do again, just because of the fact that that look at the cast supporting cast he had that year. And yeah, you, <laughs> And you explain You explained to me how he got them to go six, six games with that Warriors team that was just amazing. Even without Kevin Durant, they were an amazing team. But, so no sooner than
0: the Finals and Ended did, the haters come out. Um, none more so than Chief LeBron troll Skip Bayless, who immediately was making his case for why LeBron's legacy was hurt by this loss. So here's what he had to say on his undisputed show on sports one
2: so i'm sure i'm going to hear today on the rest of this show that lebron actually enhanced he bettered his legacy by averaging a triple double in a finals that his team lost in five games but let's get this straight obviously he hurt his legacy not not dramatically but significantly because he fell to three and five in finals
0: So breaking up Skip Bayless crapping on LeBron is nothing new. I mean, the guy's practically made his career off of doing it. But like to me, I know this is gonna sound really stupid, but I was kind of surprised by it. I was kind of surprised that this that this take wait still you were
2: surprised by something Bayless said really
0: well just like I mean he's the he's the poster child for it, but just hearing people going back to hating on LeBron or calling LeBron a, a choker or something. Like, I thought, I kind of thought we were past that. And maybe that's just my own ignorance or, again, me showing how little I understand how people on social media work. But it, it, I think it, it made me kind of think back and remember, oh, yeah, there was a point where this guy was the most polarizing player in the NBA. Right? And so I made like a, here's, I have a brief little timeline of LeBron hate. So I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna share it with you. These are the things that led to people really hating LeBron James and things that I've kind of forgotten about. So, starts off 2002, Sports Illustrated puts him on the cover as a high school junior, calling him the chosen one. So people are already upset at him that he's done nothing and has already been given the mantle. And then, you know, his early Cleveland years, you know, whatever, you can you can have them, whatever, nothing big. But then, of course, the decision happens, which was one of the most monumentally, you know, poorly thought out PR disasters that
2: I've ever seen a player go through, where you just... Well, hey, you know, lim- but... but, but- Yeah, back up just a second. Even before that, though, remember there were sort of people saying that he had quit on the Cavs in the playoffs. Um, I believe it was when they lost to was it the Celtics the one year? I can't remember exactly. I think it was the Celtics. But I remember there was talk that Uh, LeBron had just quit on his team. Right, right, right. So you know, I don't think it was. I don't think the uh, the decision was was the first thing that sort of got people on the uh, anti-LeBron bandwagon. I I think that was the point at which they said, okay. We've had enough of this guy.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely hitting the peaks. I'm hitting the peaks of the LeBron hate. It's, I don't know if it's possible to go through everything, but the decision was taking an entire city and ripping their heart out on national TV and then having a dumbass pep rally afterwards where he says the not one, not two, not
1: three, not four, not five, um,
0: not six, you know, BS line, which actually ended up being two. Uh, everything else after it was a lie. Then he disappears versus Dallas in the 2011 finals, which was the first indication that, hey, maybe this guy does have some of the choking gene in him where there was no reason the super team heat should, in which regardless of what LeBron said after the finals this year, the heat were a super team. He did play on a super team. And even Draymond Green called him out on that.
1: I never played on a super team. You stole
2: But did you see that, like, so, like, LeBron today said he didn't deny that he had formed a super team. He just said, well, I wasn't the first because the Lakers had, you know, Gary Payton and Karl Malone and Shaq and Kobe Bryant. And before that, the Rockets tried to get uh, all these veterans together. They had what uh, Pippen, Barkley, Drexler, Olajuwon. So, he was like, he was like, he didn't ever really deny that he had created a super team. He just said, "Well, I wasn't really the first.
0: Yeah, well, whatever. Super teams, a yeah, super yeah, team, yeah. and you still, you still choked like hell versus Dallas in 2011, and then, even after redeeming himself after that, he suffers with the against the Spurs in 2014, the worst finals loss ever. The Spurs beat them by an average of 14 points per game, which is the highest ever in a finals and so was like going back and kind of remembering oh yeah like there's a reason why people is people really hated this guy and I, i'm wondering if i am looking at lebron now through the rose-colored glasses of what he was able to do last last season which to me was the greatest individual sports nba finals performance whatever like one of the most amazing performances i've seen in my lifetime the the comeback last year and just how incredible he was so i'm wondering am i looking am i should i be more critical on him than i am because i think given the situation the opponents that he was the opponent that he was facing this year and given that he still put up the numbers that he did and did everything in his power and just came up short against a a markedly better team am i Am I being too easy on LeBron by saying that this this loss should just roll right off his
2: back and shouldn't really downgrade how we view him I, no, I mean I, like you said earlier, like no like LeBron after you said LeBron after the finals kind of looked like he knew this was going to happen, right I, did anybody really going in expect the Cavaliers to win this series? you know what i mean like I, I don't see how losing to possibly the greatest team of all time and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later but possibly the greatest team of all time how does that uh tarnish your legacy you know what I mean I I just it doesn't make any sense
0: as far as expectations I mean no one expected them to come back down 3-1 last season and they did and I mean that's just I, I know I'm splitting hairs there just saying that the expectations I don't know how much they should really play into the equation but yeah like no one legitimately thought that they could beat them and it's important to note that just in order to beat LeBron James, you know the Warriors had to add arguably the, a top three player to their to their roster. Right? That's that's what it takes this day. And I don't age. think it's just, I don't just, think it's just, arguably at this point. Yeah, yeah. That, I think, but they yeah, added but that, a top three player. Yeah, that's what it. That's that's what it takes to beat LeBron James, a thirty-two year old LeBron James who has spent. Eight of the last ten years in the finals, which is just an incredible thing to think of. That he has been an entire, almost an entire decade running the Eastern Conference. But hey, he he's only come home with the, the trophy three times. So hey, let's take a crap on him uh, because he didn't win six straight like like Jordan did. And so that's what let's transition a little bit into into that comparison. Which it's to me, it's the, the only go to anymore for talking about LeBron and comparing him, is to go straight to MJ.
2: So bottom line, I think in LeBron's heart of hearts, he knows that one thing is over. He is never going to catch and pass Michael
0: Jeffrey Jordan. Hey, well, MJ never lost in the finals, well, MJ never did this, MJ, blah, 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 blah. blah. And to me, that kind of like speaks volumes to where LeBron is now. That the only critique that you have to throw against him is saying, He's not as good as the best player ever, right? By criticizing this way, you're really complimenting him, right? And putting him on this pedestal saying that, hey, he's higher than every other player
2: but one. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, the go-to comparison is always Jordan, right? It's never anybody else. It's not Magic. It's not Larry Bird. It's not Kareem. It's always Jordan. So like you said, they're always going to the, the top of the mountain to, to find a comparison for him. I was looking at this early today, and some of the like similarities between their records are really eerie. Like for example, uh, LeBron James's teams in the regular season have a winning percentage of six forty eight. For Jordan, it's six twenty five. But if you like throw out his bullets, his bullets ears, his wizard's ears, um, it's like six fifty or something like that. So they're they're very very similar in that regard. And then in the playoffs, in the postseason, LeBron James's teams have a winning percentage of six six four. Jordan's had a postseason winning percentage of six sixty five, so within you know 0.001 of each other there. So just they they it's it's really weird how how in terms of regular season success, postseason success, they've been very similar except for the titles, right? So that that's always going to be the thing that people go back to is the titles. Jordan six and zero, LeBron three and five. Interesting about the three titles though. You know how many finals. Larry Bird won. How many how many titles he got? Uh, yeah. Was it three? It was three, right? But how often yeah. is that used against him? You know what I mean? Um, and so it's interesting, like that's never used against Bird, but it is used against LeBron, it seems like. Um, and if you look at like who the Celtics played, so in the first of those titles that that Bird won with the Celtics, they beat the Rockets. The Rockets were 40 and 42 that year. They were under 500 and they made the finals. And because they beat the Lakers in an early in an opening round like three game series, which I absolutely hated those series. Oh yeah, you know, it's such such it, it, three games. You're just asking for fluke results. Um, and then the third time they won a title with Bird, they beat the fifty one and thirty one Rockets. So they beat the Rockets twice. Bird's teams only defeated the Lakers once in three tries in the finals. But you don't really that's never used against him, right? Like you never hear that used against him. And so it's just interesting. That's like somebody like LeBron three titles is considered a negative somehow where for bird it's it's not
0: yeah where somehow making the finals and and losing is a is a, a bad thing against someone whereas i'm sure a lot of players would, lo- would love to just trade resumes with that um and just thinking i'm thinking about speaking of looking at things with rose-colored glasses i'm trying to think think back about michael jordan and how are, this is going to sound blasphemous, but are we giving Jordan too much credit? And let me let me explain what I, what I mean there. I still think he's. Yeah, you better
2: explain that one. I'm not probably, sure. Probably <laughs> What's your... the,
0: probably the the best player of all of all time, right? But this looking back at him now, like he's this infallible figure that everything he did was absolutely perfect, and that he never that he never struggled. And yeah, he pulled off those impressive three-peats but he did struggle mightily early on in some of the a lot of the crossover now that he's being compared to in the years the same as LeBron is that they're in the same age like LeBron was doing a lot of his struggling at a much earlier age and now that he's coming of age it's the same age that Jordan was in his prime doing his dominating you see that they're a lot more on the same level footing but It seems every time someone wants to go to the LeBron and MJ, it's like, hey, LeBron has this flaw and this flaw and this flaw. MJ never had those flaws. And I think we're just looking back on MJ as this beacon of perfection when really he was kind of a complex character, you know, to the extent that he drops out of basketball to go play baseball for a while and then comes back and plays for, like you mentioned, the disastrous stint with the Wizards. That to me just still doesn't seem like it happened like that was some kind of alternate reality or some kind of just a TV show that that the Wizards year never actually happened in my mind. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind really, of like
2: Willie, Willie Mays with the Mets or Joe Montana with the Chiefs. It's just like you have a hard time picturing that in your mind. Yeah, and so like can you imagine if LeBron did that now?
0: Like if LeBron did anything closely resembling that. Like how how much people would crucify him for it if he wanted to go play for the Indians? For a couple years or if he just went to the wizards and i think in the same way that mj had earned the right to do basically whatever the hell he wanted if lebron wants to go to the wizards for two years he should be able to do that and his resume his reputation his accomplishments is enough that where he can he can get away with it and it shouldn't hurt him now i don't think he is going to do that but if he if he wanted to do something like that he could and i think the best the best description i heard of this whole phenomenon with comparing the mj lebron was um jim jackson former nba player on the mavericks and bunch of other teams he was on and former um, buckeye former
2: buckeye let's not forget yeah. that
0: yeah all right get your shout out in uh, he was on the fsn speak for yourself show that panel with um all the like most hated former espn people are on there but then they have jim jackson as colin well. cowherd and, and skip
2: bayless is that the list yeah
0: no, it's the it's a cowherd, um, Chris Broussard, and the uh, idiot who wears fedoras. What uh, Jason Whitlock? And so he had this interesting thing to say about how how we look back on MJ, maybe with kind of rose-colored glasses. Here's what he, here's what he said about that. Here's the
1: other part of it. Who's writing the narrative? We're living in today's world where it's all about. We still are used to seeing Michael Jordan and talk Michael Jordan. 15, 20 years from now, it's millennials who are gonna be writing the narrative in regards to what they saw, who they saw. LeBron James' name is gonna be up there on top of that list in regards to what they saw and what they felt. So the narrative today is Michael Jordan. 15, 20 years from now, it may be something totally what do you different. Think, you know, and I
2: think people said similar things about Jordan, right? Late 80s and, and even 1990 before they won their first championship, people were saying the similar things about Jordan, right? Oh, he's no magic. He's no bird. He can't lift his team to a title. He's just a guy who wants to score points and wants to pad his Sell stat shoes. line. But he does, Yeah, but he doesn't really have what it takes to, to win a championship. And of course, then he wins six and eight years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's always a resistance um, whenever you see people who are getting near or surpassing the great players that you grew up with. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you you don't want to have to admit that hey, this guy might be comparable or even better than Michael Jordan, you know. Same thing yes. happened with Jordan, like I said. People didn't want to admit, hey, this guy might actually be better than Magic Johnson and Larry Bird.
0: Yeah, they're threatening your your golden idols. Yeah, and the, the old adage, what is a genius is never appreciated in his own time or whatever, you know, whatever that that phrase is. It's kind of the, the same thing. And yeah, I think that we'll end up having the same conversation the the future pundits of sports, whoever they may be, who are young kids watching LeBron dominate right now, whenever they're having to evaluate whoever the next generation of player is, right? They're saying, "Oh, well, well, Lonzo Ball is great, but he he's no LeBron James. He'll never be LeBron James. Like that, it's just it's a circle that'll keep happening and happening and happening.
2: Yeah, it's like a dog chasing its own tail. But I think Jim
0: Jackson's comments can kind of go the other way as well. I, I think there's a chance that people look back on LeBron and just look at the num- the numbers that we see there as far as finals wins and losses and just judge them based on that because like that's kind of been the whole thesis of our podcast right is that you can't just take numbers without any context and you can't that there there is a story behind each each stat that's that's how we came up with this this whole concept and if you look just back at LeBron, you, you kind of miss some of the context of what went into it. And this is where I kind of wonder if I'm making, just going through making excuses for LeBron when at the end of the day, a finals loss is a finals loss. But if you look at, so go back to his first one, 2007, where they got swept for nothing.
2: Right, so let me, let me ask you here. I think it's a good point to ask this question. Okay. I and mean, I think you're you going to go, because I think you're going to go through his finals performances, right? But if you look at it, how many times did LeBron's team lose in the finals when they were the clear favorite? Yeah, uh, Dallas, right? Right, that's, that, that, I mean, that's the only time, right? That's the only time they lost where you would say they were a clear favorite and probably should have won the title. Other than that, they've run into some juggernauts in the finals. Yeah, and
0: in a way, like LeBron has never lived down that Dallas finals like that just that that choking performance just for all of his haters just crystallized in their minds like who he was and who he would never be but like with some of the there there was no excuse for that one like it was just it was a bad bad performance but like looking at his first performance he was 22 years old on a team that their second best player was Zadrunas Ogaskas like maybe Larry Hughes like Go through and look at the roster of that team. Like he he put that team on this back and carried them to the finals and met up with the Spurs. Booby Gibson, baby.
2: Booby Gibson.
0: Yeah. And you gotta you gotta play like one of the the most experienced franchise of the of those recent years, the Spurs. And of course they they beat the hell out of them. Um, even the ones that he won, they still you still people wanna take away the credit, right? For the one where they beat OKC, like Okay, well it was a lockout-shortened season, so it doesn't really count. Or when they beat the Spurs the following year, like the haters want to give Ray Allen all the credit like, "Oh, well LeBron was on his way to blowing that finals, but Ray Allen hit the the greatest clutch shot in history." So just you can kind of go through and explain away so many things with with LeBron in his finals. And I'm just wondering I'm wondering am I doing that as well now because I I I don't think that this latest loss should really count against him even though of course it does go in the loss column and it makes him one of the losingest play- big time players in finals history but i just think given the context of how he did what team he was playing and just the the general state of things that that it should just bounce right off of him am i am i am i being too lenient am i giving lebron Am I just making excuses for this guy?
2: No, I I don't think you are. I mean, so, like, I looked at this a while ago. Um, If you look at the opponents LeBron has faced in the finals and then the opponents that Michael Jordan faced in the finals, and you calculate the adjusted margin of victory for each team, which is just basically adjusting for the schedule, um, you look at it and it's like, I think LeBron's teams had faced opponents that were on average plus 8.2 points per game, and Jordan's were like plus 6.8 points per game. So the teams that LeBron has faced were almost about a point and a half per game better than the teams that Jordan faced. So he's definitely faced tougher competition in the finals than Michael Jordan did. I mean, you look back, like, so they played the Blazers, right? The Blazers were a good, not a great team. And the year before that, I'm sorry, it was the Lakers. The Lakers were a good, not a great team. They were kind of on their, a dynasty on its last legs, right? It was kind of Magic Johnson's last hurrah. So the next year is the Blazers. Like I said, good team, not a great team. Next year was the Suns. Suns, very good team. Uh, best regular season record that year. But, you know, then again, not an all-time great team. And then, you know, the latter three, uh, same thing, where their opponents were quality opponents, but not teams that you would consider among the best of all time. And yeah, I mean the, those
0: the Stockton Malone Jazz teams were great. Those the, two of the league's best players at the peak of their game, but you still wouldn't say that those Jazz teams were on the same anywhere close to the same level as the Warriors that he faced this year, who are just right.
2: who right. are rewriting the NBA. Um even though the Sonics himself. team that they faced. The Sonics team they faced was a really good team. I think they were sixty four and eighteen that year. But again, you're not gonna look back on that team and say that's one of the greatest teams of all time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Whereas but LeBron himself, you look at, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I was no, saying no, LeBron me. himself has even said, and it was after Game Two, I think it was this season. He even he even said in one of the post games that this Warriors team that he faced this year had more firepower than than any team he's ever faced.
1: Before the series even started, we knew we was dealing with a. I said after we won the East Conference Finals that we getting ready for a juggernaut. I mean that's it's probably the most. Uh, most firepower you know I've played in my career and I've played against some great teams um, but I don't think no team has had this type of firepower you know so um, you know even when you even when you playing well you got to play you got to play like you know a plus plus you know because they're gonna make runs and they're gonna make shots and they got guys
0: that's gonna make plays so like even in his in his mind this Warriors team was on another
2: level completely Well, and that's saying something, too, because right in the 2014 finals, when the Spurs just steamrolled the heat, I mean, that was some of the most beautiful offensive basketball I've ever seen in my life. The the Spurs were just amazing that series. So for LeBron to say something like that, given that he had experienced already the 2014 finals where a team just completely demolished one of his teams, that's saying something. So what do you think, given LeBron's comments about
0: the Warriors? I mean, are we... Are we dealing with, you know, the a, a dynasty? Are we dealing with one of the best three-year runs in NBA history? I mean, what are your thoughts there?
2: Yes, yes, dynasty. Yes, one of the greatest three-year runs in NBA history. So if we just if we just keep it on three years, so for example, they're the only team to win at least sixty-five games for three straight seasons. Um, they're the only team with an average margin of victory of at least ten points per game for three straight seasons. Um, they're one of three teams that have three 60-win seasons and three finals appearances in a three-year span. The others were the Celtics from 84 to 86, and they won it twice, and the Bulls from 96 to 98, and they won it three times. Um, you know, I think if I were ranking teams based on a three-year period, this Warriors team would be second all-time. The only team I would put above them would be the 96, 98 Bulls, and for me, the big tiebreaker there is the Bulls won three titles and the Warriors won two. But, you know, in terms of just dominance over a three-year period, the Bulls are the only team, I think, that could can surpass these Warriors. Can, does the rest of the NBA have any chance of surpassing these Warriors anytime soon? Well, it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's – okay, so given the way things are now, no, probably not. I mean, we're look if they can keep their core together – and no other teams make significant moves, we're probably gonna see a repeat next year. But like you said earlier, who knows what's gonna happen in July, right? July is craziness in the NBA. So something could happen. Uh, injuries can happen, right? And those those things are not predictable. Who knows? I mean, what the, Like Durant going out with a knee injury, uh, you know, in, in, during this past season, the Warriors took a few games to get themselves together and, and to play well without him. So injuries could really throw a monkey wrench into the works, but you know if I was a betting man and you gave me, you know, the Warriors versus the field, I am going to take the Warriors. In fact, I'd probably bet I don't know what I'd bet. I'm not a betting man, but I I would I would easily take the Warriors against the field next year. Let's just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, so if you do the be the the make believe GM and take any of the names that are being floated around right now as possibly being on the market, either for, through free agency or trade or whatever it is. Your Chris Pauls, Paul George, whoever whoever people are saying or could be possibly on the move. Make some kind of fantasy scenario, like put put both of them on one team right now that you still think could turn around and give the Warriors a run for their money.
2: Like I don't I don't it's know got, if I could, it, if I could it do ju- it. It would just have to be the Cavs adding somebody. The Cavs would yeah. have to add somebody and then not subtract from their core. Because like a lot of... So like one of the big rumors lately, right, is about Love being flipped for Paul George. Yeah. Well, to me, like, okay, that increases the Cavs' championship odds from 100 to 1 to 99 to 1 or something like that. I mean, George is better than Love, but is he really going to be that much better that he significantly improves their championship odds? I have my doubts. I think I think Love is is blamed way too much for some of the problems that you see the Cavs having from time to time. I mean, the guy is a really, really, really good player, probably a top 20, 25 NBA player. And so, you know, removing him to add a player who's maybe top 10, is that really push them that much closer to a title? I don't know. I have my doubts. And also, let's not forget that George would then have to assimilate into that the Cavs team I mean he's not going to be the same Paul George he was in the Pacers because on the Pacers he's the go-to guy he's the alpha dog he's not going to be that in the Cavs he's going to be like the third wheel behind uh LeBron and Kyrie so I I don't know that was the same
0: that was the same I know Kevin Durant and Paul George aren't on the same level but that was the same worries with the Warriors last you know going in last summer and then that that seemed to not be a problem whatsoever but like we said the Warriors were just on another level
2: yeah and there's just a difference like when you watch the Warriors play even pre-Durant it was ball movement right it was a lot of ball movement it was not a lot of isolation ball and whereas the Cavs it's a lot more LeBron you know in isolation or Kyrie in isolation I think it's harder to integrate a star into that sort of offensive scheme that it is into the Warriors scheme I think almost any player in the league could be a could could go into the Warriors scheme and be successful. I, I don't know if that's true in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, and the the Warriors were just so far ahead of the rest of the NBA that they're all just still trying to play catch up and and adapt to this style. I mean, you had Daryl Morey pushing that kind of style years ago, but never had the personnel to really make it work until you know you saw the success they had this year. But the Warriors to just be able to completely change the way the NBA is played and to be able to have the right people in place to do it it's the rest of the NBA is going to be still taking years to finally catch up to them and i think i think we should be we should kind of be thankful that we have lebron on the other side that there's at least someone we can put in the discussion like all right there is there's at least one man who could maybe do something to to slow down this this dynasty but as we saw even with his best effort arguably one of the best efforts in finals history it still wasn't enough and we may end up having this exact same conversation next year about parity in the NBA and and all that good stuff but after last season's performance like to come back from down 3-1 to beat the best regular season team of all time like to me LeBron can do no wrong. Like, his his legacy is sealed. Yes, he has earned some of the hate that's been thrown at him in the past, but last season, to me, he reached Teflon level. And so there's nothing that could have happened in this finals that really could have, uh, could have undone that. And just the fact that he did put up the effort that he did against one of the best offensive and defensive powerhouses the league has ever seen just shows that much... To what a truly special player he is and i think yes he does have five nba finals losses under his belt but at least with this last one it it does not change my opinion of him
2: whatsoever justin kabatko are you you're in agreement there i'm in agreement yeah i mean like i said a a loss to a team like the warriors is nothing to be ashamed of um doesn't make one bit of difference in terms of my evaluation of him. I still consider him probably one of the top three players of all time right now. Wow, that's big.
0: All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, If you check this out on iTunes or something like that, be sure and check out our blog at blog.statnews.com. We're going to have some of the Stat News results uh, embedded on there so you can kind of see where we got some of these stats and learn how to use it yourself. Uh, Also, be sure we're going to check us out on all the different platforms we're on. We're on the ESPN app. You can find us in there. You can find us on Stitcher and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Podcasts, and Google Play. Be sure and follow the company at, at @statmuse on Twitter. You can hit me at, at @chadjshanks. Ask Justin some complicated uh, stats questions and be surprised with how quickly he answers them at, at @jkabatko. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Stat Stories.
2: That was awesome! Ha <laughs>